Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Lift Effect podcast. I am your host, Matt McNeil, founder, clinical director, and director of human performance at Lift Effect, where we assist professional pilots with maintaining better mental health and optimizing their mental skills. The goal of this podcast is simple to help pilots and other high liability professionals and disciplines come out of the shadows to discover how we can live better lives personally and professionally. Join us each episode as we discuss various topics ranging from mental health, mental skills and performance, to business, entrepreneurship, and a few other surprises along the way. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Lift Effect podcast. I'm your host, Carl Keller, along with the ever-present Matt McNeil. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing, doing. Yeah, gig. Uh, People won't understand, but I, uh, I guess I got in your head this morning. <laughs> well, you're going to have to qualify that now. Oh, God. So yeah, I'm in I... a session with a client, <laughs> and we're using a new platform for the podcast. We're testing out some new stuff. And I had sent Carl an invite um, to log in, and I'm I'm in a session, and all of a sudden I hear Carl's voice coming through my head, my uh, headset, uh, my ear AirPods, and I the client I was with couldn't hear him, right? Uh, but I could hear him and I'm, I'm hearing this sort of ethereal voice. Are you there? Are you there? And I'm like, what is, is there a haunting going on? I, it sounds I, I, like Carl. I had, I told, he had logged in and I had, the, it was just so I was like, you know, I had to cancel that I told that Matt I would, ha- I would haunt him forever. I know. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell's going on? So that was kind of funny. But anyways, going good, man. Uh, halfway through another week. Yeah, it was it was in Denver. It was seventy five on Sunday. We went to Wash Park and hung out, throwing the frisbee around, and then it snowed. <laughs> uh, it snowed yesterday. Like got dumped on with snow. Snowed a little bit last night, and then this week uh, weekend it's supposed to be in the eighties. So yeah, we had uh, eighty three yesterday, and I guess it's supposed to be eighty seven today. We didn't get one lick of snow this year. It was just the kids were so depressed. really. Oh yeah, it was it was horrible. This was there was no winter. I'm not looking forward to the summer. It didn't kill off the bugs and stuff. So oh wow, it's going to be a that. heck of a summer. Yeah, but hey, I see that uh, uh, the the questions just keep rolling in. Got a couple of sec, actually two or three good ones depending on where we can go mm-hmm. today. They cool. may just take up the whole day again. Um, All right. So let me hit you up with uh, one. We'll get into it because uh, I know you kind of. And take it down the rabbit hole. Um, the first one, I really liked the episode on peak performance and how to improve our practice. I'm wondering, what do you think about the fire hose mentality of our training system that we have at the airlines? Is it effective? Do you have tips for maximizing our learning in the face of too much information being presented in too little time? It's mm, a good question. Well, what do you think, Carl, of the fire hose mentality? I mean, it does is it effective? I think it is. I think it, it clearly it works. It can um, be. I mean, it, 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 yeah, huh? It. Uh, it's I a can long tell tradition you of that. Yes, and over the years, I can tell you at least at my airline, the the time that they've taken to do the training has gotten more and more compressed and condensed. Um, you can make some arguments both ways. I mean, I remember uh, we had to know a lot more of systems. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. there was a lot more in-depth information than than it is now. And you're more of a, in many cases, uh, a manager 
as far as because the, the SOPs across the aircraft uh, have finally truly become SOPs. So you're you're you learn the basics about the airplane and how to implement it within the system. In other words, in that domestic, international, and all that sort of stuff. But it uh, it can be uh, a fire hose, especially when you start getting into the simulator phase, because there's yeah. so much that they have to get done. The FAA keeps adding other things, you know, like the hand flying. They want you to do more hands-on. So that's something that's uh, been, that was pushed not too long ago. So there's a lot, the FAA will continue to add things. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's evolved with certainly as the technologies, you know, become uh, much better, uh, much more comprehensive. You know, you don't, you don't need to know the limitations necessarily like you know the inner workings of how the door uh opens or the you know the internal workings of a door like you, you may not need to know that um where because you have indicators up front that will tell you exactly which yeah. part of the door is not is not working properly yeah matter of fact maintenance knows before you do often because it sends a message totally they and, do um just to throw one other thing into training i mean obviously time is money uh, I think they said on average a transition course costs around fifty thousand dollars. So there's a huge motivation for your employer to get you back out on the line for sure, generating revenue. So yeah. they, they're going to compress it as much as they can. Yeah, I think um, there's. So let's let's get a little critical. the The fire hose, just in terms of how people learn. So this now we can apply this to mm -hmm. the the other listeners as well that may not be aviation specific. And I'll just say, like, I'm not a fan of the fire hose, um, and here's why. I think it's a it's a crappy way to learn, and the data supports that. It's it's a a, a crappy way to learn. Um, we only have so much bandwidth, and th there is a. Um, uh there there was a famous study that was done um to determine how many things can you know a person learn at one time and the reality is is we can learn somewhere between five and seven five plus or minus two things at once that's how much we can hold into our memory um and so it was called the uh what was it the zygernick effect zygernick effect and this was a russian psychology researcher they did a study where I, I think it was like they were noticing waiters um, and waiters. One is they could only memorize so many things at once. Um, that's why phone numbers are seven numbers and, you know, our radio frequencies are five. They didn't make them. They could have a whole lot more frequencies if they increased the number, but they, they do it in five because we can't actually hold much better than five numbers at a time. Uh, we're not capable of multitasking. We know that. And there's all sorts of lots of science to support that. And we can get into that if we, if you want, but, um, but what this, this study that they had done, uh, Bluma Zygernick, I think her name was, and she had found that waiters. So there's some, some tricks to learning. One is there's only so many things you can hold in your memory. And interestingly, waiters that if you had paid them, they forgot faster than if you hadn't paid them. Isn't that interesting? Right. So <laughs> if you think about like, how does this apply to you? Well, leaving some, some unfinished business is a great way to be able to start back up where you left off. I think uh, Hemingway always said, you know, he stopped writing mid sentence because if he completed the sentence, it was much harder when he, you know, came back to it to 
restart where was his idea. So he would stop writing halfway mid-sentence, and then he could easily just join right back up with where he was. But that's kind of getting into some nerd Nicky things. Um, but I think I'm not a fan of the 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 um the fire hose because the reality is we simply we cannot retain all, all that information. We just we shut down. And if you ever go to like a, a seminar or a speech or you know somebody talking a four hour seminar by the first break you're tapped out you've already learned you, you know you're, you're you're done and you know they need the coffee break and people are out there talking about you know god can you believe we have three three more hours of this oh this is just it's just too much same in the classroom you know and so part of that is because it's it's called channel capacity we only have so many uh resources we can allocate and the reality is is the best data shows about three and so when you think about like a to-do list you shouldn't be more than three things and one should be your most important we can talk about that uh and a whole nother thing in terms of you know how to plan your schedule out but um i think that the 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 fire hose i understand why they do it um it's it's not a good thing and so I think the question asked is what what can you do about it, right? Is that reframing? Yeah, saying, that? Uh, I'm wondering what you think about the fires mentality that we have. Is it effective? And do you have tips for maximizing our learning in the face of too much information yeah. presented in too little time? Tips. So um the the biggest I don't like the word hack strategy that you can you can use when you're getting a ton of information thrown at you is and I would I would tell this to flight students all the time, and you know even at the, at the airlines we talk. It's like you're not going to learn everything in the ground school. You're not going to learn everything about systems. You're not going to learn everything about the FOM. You're not going to learn everything about your ops manual. Like you're going to learn that out online when you're when you're actually applying it. And so constant studying, you know, even if you study 15 minutes a day, um, is a is a good way to learn over time. Um, so don't expect to walk out of there with full comprehensive knowledge about everything inside a month or eight weeks. It's just not going to happen. So set your expectations to be something that's realistic. Um, choose wisely what you're going to learn because um, what we tend to do is we just put a, a big laundry list of everything together of all the things that we want to, we want to learn or we want to get done. And we, we, we just get overwhelmed and we don't really learn any of them. So you really should choose what's most important. And, um, you know, cause when you're saturated, we become paralyzed and I see this in training all the time. People just get completely overwhelmed with the amount of information and, and it's paralyzing. And then you become self-doubt and then our actions become slower. So, uh, overloading people with information, you're, you're just causing them to overcommit with what they're going to know. What the, how they're going to approach it. And so forget flying. If, you, if you're working for an organization, two of the crucial skills you probably aren't, aren't learning is how do you prioritize the information that's being poured into you? And, and then how do you understand the point of equilibrium when it, when it becomes actionable? So a quick way to work on this is I use something right here, Productivity Planner. You and I, have, Carl, we've talked about this many times. I love this thing because what it says is uh, each day it says most important task of the day. That's number one. And then it says secondary tasks of importance. 
two and three. And then there's additional tasks, four and five. Five, that's it. There's only five. Now I keep a laundry list of everything. You know, it's like on the whiteboard, just every single task that you got to do, throw it up there. And then I pull what is the most important task that I need. And it's one, it's not five, it's not seven, it's not three, it's one. What is the most important task? And then really the secondary tasks. I can probably get those done, but any more than that, and I'm I'm not going to get done. And secondly is do not become distracted with other tasks as they come in. Most important task means that is what I'm going to do above all other tasks. So if you think about if you're learning a new airplane or you're learning something in your uh, medical practice, a new procedure, or you're learning something as a litigator, you're trying to study a trial or trying to work on a, a part of your argument, it's important to figure out what is the first thing that's most important for tomorrow. You know, for well, really for today, I always plan today, the, the prior day before. We'll talk about that in a second. So, but choose the most important piece for for where you are for that day, for that, for that that section of where you're at. Then choose a second and do not veer from that. You do you don't work on the second or third or fifth or sixth. Uh, you know, distraction until you've completed the first one. That's a, that's a, if you do that, that will put you in the, the top 5%. And if you do it consistently, you'll see the, the fruits of, of that. That will, it, it will geometrically multiply if you do that. What are your, th- I mean, Carl, what's your thoughts on that? I Talk agree with all those things. Um, one of the other things that I used to do, uh, uh, and it kind of, crosses a whole bunch of things, both aviation and non-aviation is I look at things and kind of, I call it the rule of three. It's like when you meet somebody to remember their name, you, you say it three times. It's kind of yeah. reinforcement. Um, if I have a problem reading something, I'll go back and I'll reread it a little bit slower and then go back and read it again. And it seems like by the third time I start to get it and it starts, and I look at the most important things because there's a lot of stuff that's peripheral and it doesn't have to carry the same weight and the same emphasis. Um, and I think that would that reinforces an issue. So if you're talking to somebody and it's important, emphasize it three times, and you'll be surprised how often the person will pick it up and remember it because it's reinforced in their mind. That's a yeah. that's a personal opinion. Yeah. Um, but it seems it works when you do it to to, to just do it once and it's not enough. Yeah, yeah. you'll lose it uh, most of the yeah. time. We can only remember again. We can only remember one thing at a time, really, basically. But, but I, I think that's where people f- fail is they they don't know how to choose. Another thing is focusing on one thing; it promotes action. You learn to do less, but more often. I would say, do a little, a lot. Don't do a lot, yep. a little. And w- what's Newton's first law? Right, an object in in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. And so, if you can just get the one piece the that creates some movement you actually then start to get some momentum so that's i think that's probably just a quick you know quick answer to that that question but it's a it's a good question and the data shows that the fire hose thing is a, is empirically a very bad idea it's not a good way to try to learn something you you talked about uh, emphasizing it later on but you brought it up a couple times so I'll I'll kind of circle back around and hit it and that is uh, multitasking. People seem to think that they can do multiple things at once. 
But very often, especially when it's a, something that they're a difficult concept, focus on that because if you're trying to do multiple things, sometimes that is enough to distract you where you're not learning everything you need to learn. Our focus yep. needs to be on what's, what it is that you're trying to grasp. Yep. Absolutely. We can switch tasks fairly. We can learn to switch tasks quickly, but trying to do multiple things at once, we really can't juggle more than three things, you know, and, and it's effectively you're best at juggling one thing. Our muscle memory can do lots of things uh, at one time. That's how you can walk and chew gum. Um, you're not thinking about that. But in terms of our cognitive load, our channel capacity, it's uh, it's very, very limited. And when you think everything is important, nothing is important. And so if, if you're learning a new system or you're learning a new procedure, or you're learning whatever it is you do, figure out what's what's the one thing that is going to is going to be the catapult to the rest of your learning and start with that piece, which gets us a little bit back into our, our discussion of deliberate practice last time, which is you've got to break things down into steps instead of trying to look at it all at once. That's how you can learn. And you can reduce the amount of time that uh, you can spend learning. And I think the airlines, in some respects, they've been able to they do a poor job of deliberate practice, but they sort of do it, I think, unbeknownst to them. The way our systems are blocked out and the way we kind of build that out is like, you know, piece by piece, start with what's, you know, the, the basics, learn to walk before you can run. Um, but they could do a much better job. And, and if they actually really did, they would decrease the amount of training time uh, than, than what they have now, which is the name of the game. I agree. Hey, go to another one. Um, this one, this one's a loaded one. So you can, uh, you could probably spend a lot of time on this one. Mm. Matt, what do you think about the near misses that seem to be happening with greater frequency? What role do you believe psychological performance and well-being has in these events? Like, uh, well, one is I have no idea. I mean, I, we don't know until the, the reports come out about what happened. Why did these things happen? Um, I think there is a, a trend that seems to be developing. We're seeing more and more of this. And I think there's multiple causal factors. It's not a single, a single bullet as to why this is happening. But it's a problem. And, and it's low. so what is the role of psychology? A role of psychology is in everything. I mean, the, the human, so in human factors, which is what we're talking about, there's three spheres. There is the human factor, there is the machine factor, and there is the environment factor, the environmental factors. And the way those, the intersectionality of that is where human factor psychology is. So anytime you put a human within the loop of a machine and in, within an environment, there is a human factor uh, that, <laughs> yep. that's going to be at play. And what rules our behavior? What's our engine? Our brain. It's our psychology. And so no doubt there is going to be some, if there was a human involved, the, the, the human piece is going to be a factor. And we know classically, you know, historically, that aviation accidents are related to human problems most of the time, uh, not um machine and environment i mean it's the it's the way it, the errors in the human piece that have led to 
a, a pretty bloodied history, uh, which is why we've improved the machines and even improved environmental factors to to compensate for human error. So perfect example would be autopilots. Uh, we use them. In fact, we're required to use them uh, in certain situations. And that has undoubtedly led to safer outcomes than trying to have a human being, um, you know, uh, uh, algorithms that are programmed into machines will do a lot, will be more consistent than the algorithms that are performed in human beings. Now, human beings will always be better than machines in some res respects. Um, humans can care. Machines can't. Uh, humans can have some of that judgment that machines don't have. But in terms of the mechanics of it, uh, the autopilot is going to fly much better than the human will. And I don't, I, guys try to argue that all the time, but the, the data does not support that. So I, it's it's a factor. What What is the role of it? I have no idea. You know, you, you have to wait for the, the report to be released on some of these near misses to find out what was the what was the problem so uh, why is it happening more uh, i think that there's an experience issue that we are seeing um i think there's way more flying than there's more demand than the the industry honestly has the capacity to be able to fulfill i think that there's traf there's problems with the atc system there's problems with there's just it's it's a complicated environment and there is this like let's jam everybody through as passengers and as uh, pilots and flight attendants and mechanics and you know there's just a, a a huge need. There's a huge amount of retirements that are happening. They're hiring at unprecedented uh, levels. They've never seen this kind of hiring before, um, and the experience level is less and less experienced. And so those things are going to. Um, uh, they're gonna they're gonna bite us in the butt, and I think we're seeing the the warning signs of this. And my worry is is that there's something something bad is going to happen um, very soon if we don't figure this out. I agree. The the, the biggest um, change or the that's uh, compared to the past is I think the experience level. There's so many more people coming through that are newer and younger, and then it's not just flying. You look at you. Uh, I know that on yeah. on ground support, some of these things have been not uh, have been uh, caused by people that have, were not flyers. They were just one of them was, I think, I believe, an ambulance crossing a runway, as an example. Um, I just think that it's harder to get people the, le the level of experience and um, uh, is is gone down quite a bit across the board because uh, everything else is pretty much the same. The ATC is. As is always was, or slightly better, because now there's certain they have certain things, especially at airports, that are able to to notify them when things happen. So uh, it's got. I think that's the biggest variable that's changed. But that's just a personal opinion, like you say. We got to wait for the 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 you know the conclusions to 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 come out. And and look, the the NTSB and the FAA does a very good job at investigating. Yep. And if you've ever read one of these reports and or worked on some of these investigations it's it is as thorough as you know if hospitals could do that with death uh patients would not die at nearly the rates that they do um and there are hospitals are learning and you know i've worked with um organizations to teach them how we do it in aviation to help them implement that into how they do it in healthcare 
and it's it's a uh, you know aviation is is kind of the model on how to um, approach some of these er- these human errors, but it's a very complicated environment, and there's a lot of things happening, and there's a lot of factors um, that that are going into it. But let's just wait and see. People, I've gotten lots of questions about, you know, some of these, uh, you know, loss of control, nearly hitting the water stuff, and uh, and and I'm just like, you can speculate all day, but until you actually get the report of what happened and they will figure out exactly what happened. Uh, it's, it's just all conjecture. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. So my, my opinion doesn't matter. Carl opinion doesn't matter. It matters what the report says. Yep. And then we'll hopefully learn from that and, and be able to figure out ways of, of taking steps to mitigate some of those errors. But the human side, psychology plays a role in everything. As long as there is a human involved, and even if a human built the thing or is programming the thing or is maintaining the thing, psychology and mental performance are a, are a huge factor in all of this. I agree. Well, you didn't go down as deep a rabbit hole as I thought, although you did bring <laughs> hospitals. brief today, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you. But you did bring hospitals into it, so. Okay. Here's another one. I, go, I mean, I can go deeper if you want, but I don't, no, I don't I, think it's I, I, necessary. Well, uh, I got another want one more, here. Uh, if you want no more, just send a question in and we'll, we yep. can we can explore it more. There's a lot. I mean, I I could pull lots of research and uh, re- a lot of different references that might be helpful. Uh, I can this. tell you, I've thrown things at uh, uh, Matt just on the fly, and I swear to God, there's like an encyclopedia inside of him that just he pulls stuff out, and it's like almost like he's reading it verbatim. And I go, "How the heck did you do that?" It's just truly amazing <laughs> sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to keep and remember my own name half the time. So, well, it's hey, just door. It's dorky stuff, but I, I just find it endlessly fascinating. You know, and obviously, so do our listeners. Yep. So, I got another one. This one is off, totally in a different direction, and it's uh, something that we've hinted at, and uh, I think we've actually had a, a, a question that we brought up previously that was kind of in this realm. It mm-hmm. Says, you guys have promised to talk about entrepreneurship and business. I know Matt does a lot of business coaching um, in your business, the MCM Business Solutions. Many of our professional community are also small business owners as well as pilots. And he says, can't wait to see where you take this one. So mm. I'm going to, I'm just lobbing so yourself Just off. talk about business, I yeah. guess. Well, uh, well it, it, it's part of it. I mean, how many times have you sat in a cockpit? And the guy next to you goes, you know, I, I don't care what it was. It was the latest thing, whether it was a, you know, hey, I've got this coffee deal. I've got this, you know, the side hustle. Hey, I've got this investing. I got to, I do this, mm-hmm. this I, you know, I've got a side business doing X. There's always somebody or doing something. Uh, and and it just invariably gets brought up while you're sitting, cruising at 350. Yeah. Drinking your coffee. Yep. Um so, well, gosh, that's a really open. It is. And that's thing. why I, I'm just um, throwing it at you and see where you go. I'm just curious. So, okay. Uh, let me think. Where do I want to take this? Well, one is I don't, most of the businesses I coach are not pilot owned businesses um, because, um, because I don't, I don't do a lot of coaching with um, realtors. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Had to make the joke. If I met a if I was paid a dime for every pilot that's a realtor, I'd be a rich guy. And maybe that's because pilots um 
real estate allows them to be able, you know, to work with their schedule and it's, it, you know, you can go get a real estate license fairly quickly. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're a good realtor, uh, but there's so many pilots that are realtors. Have you noticed that? A lot of them own property, you know? It's, yeah, but it's, that's what you see a lot of people are, yeah. they're, they, they own a lot of rental property. That's what I see and hear a lot of guys do. Yeah. Um, it's, it starts with rental properties. And then sometimes they're like, well, heck, I'll just go get my real estate license because it will probably be cheaper um, you know, for me to just broker my own deals and pay a real estate agent an exorbitant fee. When and so that kind of makes sense. But I don't work a lot of the businesses I I work with as a coach are not pilot owned. Um, they have been, but typically typically not. But let's talk about. Um, oh man, there's so many things we could do. Okay, what are some fundamental ways of improving a business. If you're going to start a business, um, let's do that. Start a business. You want to start a business. You're looking for a side hustle. You've got a business. You're trying to figure out how to improve your business. Well, the school of thought that I subscribe to um, is there's some fundamental pieces to um, a successful business. What makes a business successful? What makes a business not successful? There's some some universal laws. Whether you are an HVAC company or you're a restaurant or you're a uh, a healthcare company, um, you need to identify a problem that somebody has that they don't have a solution for. I know that this sounds basic, but it's not. Lots of people, very smart, well-intentioned people have put a huge amount of work and a huge amount of equity into starting something that really wasn't a problem <laughs> to begin with. Um, and that can be devastating. And so it's really important if you're thinking about starting a business or you have a business, it's really important that you ask yourself and you do some research on, is this... It, it does, is there a problem that somebody has that they don't actually want this problem? And is there a solution that they want that they don't have to the problem? If the answer is yes, you may have something that you can provide. Now, it doesn't mean you've got the solution, but there, there needs to be an identifying problem. That's step one. Your Any contributions on this, Carl? The first comment I would make, and it sounds so basic, and that is, so many people that have a business or say they have a business don't treat it like a business. Right. You need to have the mindset that it is a business. It's not a hobby. It's, if you go in there, you're going to set yourself up for failure. If you don't treat it from day one like a business, set it up, do all the record keeping, the bookkeeping and everything. It's a business. It's not a hobby. Right. Um, as to what you were saying, shacks, spot on. Uh, there's a saying in the community, USP, unique sales proposition. Yeah. You know, you've got to have something that people want that you're servicing serving them a need that's that's unique because if things are if if you're just like everybody else, you you sell t-shirts. And if everybody else sells t-shirts and you don't have something that stands you apart from the rest, the only differentiator is price. Yep. So you've got to have something that makes them want to come that you offer them and they go Matt solves that problem for me. Whatever that yeah. is, whether it's a it's customer service, right? You know, um, um, the quality of your product, 
the the uniqueness of it, those kind of things. So I would, if you don't do that, the challenges are going to be that much harder to overcome. Yeah, because you're just fighting in the big crowd of everybody, and nobody. You just if they find you, it's just luck of the draw. Yeah, that's right. And I, I, you know, like when I'm approached by a business to work with them, uh, I, I don't work with commodity businesses. Um, there's nothing wrong with commodities. Um, you know, and w- what a commodity means is that it basically crudely, uh, you're just there to sort of suck oxygen out of the room. You're there to capture some of the market space uh, and just kind of see what, how much you can capture. So like an example of a commodity would be, um, <clears throat> um, let's just say a, a pizza shop. You're just going to just pizza dominoes, right? The, some of these things you just, you, it's, it's all about position the place on the right corner where there's 5,000 people to walk by at lunchtime. And you know, just statistically, you're going to get 5% of the people that walk by and that's it. And you do that. And that's fine. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I find it boring and I don't like working with those businesses. I like to work with businesses that um, are a service that is a little bit more preeminent, that that's a little more specialized. It's only because that's my experience of creating those kinds of businesses. Um, I've, I've had a couple of different companies that I've built um, um, and you know, and certainly lift effect in the healthcare space is very specific. I mean, Matt McNeil Associates, very specific. Um, so that's what I, I, I choose to, to do. So what we're talking about is like, f- figure out who is your customer. That's, that's the right way. What is the market segmentation? Um, you got to build an end user profile. You need to calculate, you know, the size of your market. Uh, find a profile of the persona of this mar- of the people in the market identifying who your customer is or your client you know and there's a, a kind of a rule is commodities have customers and preeminent businesses have clients it's a difference there's a big they're difference they're saying create the avatar what is the ideal uh, that's right individual or per- person that you're trying that wants what you're offering or that you're trying to sell to right and build that and then start working your way backwards like you say if if the market's too small, it it better be a very high end product that you're offering. Otherwise, you're just not going to have enough people to to, to have a viable um, market. So once you got that, let's say you figure out that that that's a real thing, and you you kind of know who you're you're you know that there's a problem that somebody has uh, that they don't want, and you know that there's a solution that they want that they don't have. And you've you've identified that you've got the solution. Then you've got to figure out, okay, what can I do for this person? What can I do for my client? Um, so you got to create a full life cycle uh, use case, right? What does it look like from start to end of them using my my product or my service? Create some high level product specification. Quantify the value of the proposition. So now we're starting to look even about like what is this worth? And let's let's talk about price for a second because this is a big a, a key thing uh, r- racing around trying to compete on pricing uh, it's a reality but i'll tell you this and i don't care what industry you work in people shop the value that you provide them period hands down and if they are only focused on price 
it is because either a you have not you don't bring any value to them b you have value but you have not communicated it properly or c there's just no perceived value it might be there but it's not perceived which kind of relates to number 2 you haven't you haven't but there's a little slight differences so people shop value they don't shop price they only shop price is because the value is not uh, not there or it's not understood and so <clears throat> you've got to really make sure that's why i think it's important to figure out that that what you're bringing is of of high value the higher the value it is the more you can charge for it some realtors charge a lot more than others and say well how is it they get how can they demand that price and the other one can't because it's the value that's perceived that that realtor brings so that's a really important distinction so you're not just like racing around competing on price you know a guy came to my house the other day trying to you know like knocked on my door says no solicitors i always laugh I'm like like thanks for following <laughs> Thanks for you know you know following the sign here, but he wanted to paint the house. I have a paint and I, and I I said so. What what makes you different than all of these like cards that get put on my door every day? It's like a painter or a landscaper. What what why should I choose you over this? And I had a, another one sitting on the porch. Said, but what makes you different from this? And I looked at the flyers and it was the same formula, the same shit on there. And it's like, so how would I know who to go for, to go with? <clears throat> and he couldn't give me a compelling reason why I should choose him over his competitor. Other than, you know, we take credit cards. Well, you know, yeah, that's kind of baseline. I would expect that you would take a credit card. That's not a value to me. That's a baseline. I mean, it's valuable, right? I don't have to pay cash, but I would I would pay cash if it was something really compelling about what you could bring. And so, uh, you know, I started to like coach this guy a little bit about, well, here's something that you could do um that that would set yourself apart. And I said, "What's the number one thing that people uh, problem that customer your customers have?" And I didn't say clients because he's really just a commodity at this point. Like, what what is the the biggest problem people have when they're considering a, a house painter? What do you think he said, Carl? I mean, you reflect on it. What's the number one issue people have with house painters? The quality of the work. I the mean, quality the, sucks. Yeah. The quality sucks. Uh, what else? What's another problem? I mean, obviously, price is always an issue with them. Um, no, that's only because the value's not there. True, but what's the but what's the problem? If they leave a freaking mess, it's a me they, they don't clean true. up their crap. They're there at the odd times. They're not there at consistent times. There's any kind of contractor you've ever dealt with. This is a this is a problem. This is a huge problem. And so it's like, well, why don't you communicate that you leave no messes? You're the cleanest painter in the industry in in Colorado. You will be there specifically at these times. You will leave at these times. You have a risk reversal, which is a quality <laughs> guarantee, right? We're not done until you're happy. I mean, some like 
if you had communicated those things with me, I would be a little bit more compelled to say, yeah, maybe I'm interested because I actually do need some painting done inside, <laughs> you know? But if you don't communicate that, like, because he hasn't identified the pain that I as the consumer have. So when you're thinking about a business, there's got to be a pain point. You have to identify where is the pain. Even if you're selling a piece of pizza, what's the pain? I'm hungry. Uh, I want good pizza or I want cheap pizza or whatever it is. You've got to figure out what the pain point is of your, of your prospect. Prospect means somebody that could buy from you, uh, but has not yet bought from you. So he's, this guy's trying to do lead generation. He's trying to get leads that he can nurture into a prospect, right? That could then become a client or a customer. So that's lead generation. Um, but the hardest part, and so there's five fundamentals of business. We get into this. Carl knows this. The, the, here's the five fundamentals of business. You have to generate a lead. You have to be able to convert that lead into a client or a paying customer or client. So that's called a conversion. You want to increase the total number of transactions that you have meaning that they, they buy from you. We call that lifetime value, right? Maybe it's once, maybe it's a hundred times, but you, it's good to know what is the maximum number of times somebody can buy from me. You've got to have a proper upfront offer in terms of your pricing strategy. So you're, you have to be priced in a way that is, is aligned with the value that you have communicated. That's got to be aligned. And then you need to know some very fundamentals of being able to be profitable, fundamental stuff, uh, you know, business business uh, profitability strategies and tactics of, of accounts receivable, accounts payable, and taxes, and, and that's kind of things. But if you work on those things, but but here's what people do when they want to start, and I've seen pilots do this, right? They got a business idea, and you know what they spend all their time on? Their website. It's like that's is Carl, one of our good friends, Carl Bryan. He's a legend of a business coach. Uh, that's called sexy delusional, right? Oh, I, I've got to get Facebook ads. I've got to get marketing. I got to have a good flyer. I got to have a, a good website. I've got to have a good, like, that's fine, but that is not like, that's not going to move the needle. And when I work with business clients from, I don't, I don't, I work with basically $50 million in, in, or less. Anything over 50 million bucks is a different kind of business coaching. I like the $50 million or less and really 50 employees or less uh, are the businesses I like. I do have some that have more than that, but the problem with that is once you're over 50 employees, you're basically in the business of human resources and not anything else like period. Uh, but, you know, the, the point is, is a website a flyer, an ad is great, but that's not the foundation. That's not, and it's just like everything we've talked about in on this podcast is the fundamentals are gets the job done every time. But we want to get really creative and we want to get advanced and cute with 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 things beyond the fundamentals. And that is just sexy delusional. You're buying off into the the carrot. That if I just have a great business card, that's gonna that's gonna get me the job. I don't have a business card. I haven't had a business card in years. I don't. I no people ask for me for business cards. I don't. I don't have one. So you can find me. You know, you just you you can find me. 
I focus on the business. And so any business I work with, I tell them, we are going to be cleaning toilets. I clean toilets for a living when it comes to business coaching. I do the the stinking fundamentals, which is like if if you have a if if you've got a restaurant or you got a hotel, you can have the nicest business cards on your on your kiosk. But if the rooms are disgusting and the toilets are dirty and the showers don't work, you're not going to have a hotel for very long. And it's it's the fundamentals that get the job done. So it is leads. That's easy to get. How to convert a lead? Not a problem. Um, how to increase the number of transactions with, you know, that's different services that you offer pricing. There's lots of ways to have different pricing strategies. You can bundle things, you can upsell, you can cross sell, you can downsell and fundamentals of, of accelerating your profit. Um, and there's, I can't even begin to get into some of that, but that it's, that is the fundamentals of building a, a business, but start with what's the problem that somebody has and what is the solution that they want that they don't have. And you'd be surprised that will eliminate 95% of the businesses that you decide to come up with because you're like, it's not really a problem or it's just like, it's a problem, but, but my solution is no better than anybody else's solution. You know? So that's, that's my thoughts on it. What's your thoughts? No, I, I think you said just about everything I said or would have said it's, um, those are very important because most people don't think about it in that perspective. They think they've got a great idea and they start putting it all together and haven't done the the the, the research or the, the foundational um, uh, looking at what what will make the business work and uh, attractive to the to the prospective client that they're trying to reach to. Uh, yep. Once they do those things, it, their opportunities to be a profitable or have a successful business skyrocket. Um, yes, I wanted to throw. I want. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say it's the it's those are the five like high level fundamentals: leads, conversions, uh, tra- you know, lifetime value, um, pr- proper upfront pricing strategy, and then profits. Fundamentals of profit. Then once you've got that, then you can get into a little bit more like nitty gritty, like who is your customer, uh, what can you do for your customer, how does your customer acquire your product. Um, how, how do you make money off your product? That's that's key too. How do you, you got to be able to make money? How do you design and build your product? And then how do you scale your business? And that's like you know, there's like 24 different things within that. That that's why my engagements are like one to three years, often longer, because it takes that long to continuously, you know, the continuous process of improvement. But you got to start with those fundamentals, and you'd be surprised. I'll get in there, and these are businesses that are making money. And they have not thought through those five fundamentals. They've kind of gotten lucky, but what got you to here isn't going to get you to there. And so at some point you have to do this, this work, or you're going to be really limited with, with what, with what you can do, or it might, it might not be sustainable. It might've just been like, you know, the stars kind of aligned, but you know, easy come easy go. What I was going to say is in, in particular towards you, not towards other people's mm. businesses, is that you as a coach don't do the work. You nope. actually uh, you actually provide the guidance and the insight and the direction, but it's up to the uh, and your client to do it. And as there's a saying that you've said to me multiple times, you, you can't want it more than they do. Nope. If they're not willing to do that, 
then uh, it do, all you wanting it doesn't do anything. Yeah, so, it's true. And and I, you know, I will terminate it. I just let I just terminated a contract last week uh, with a client because it's like uh, I, you know, one is you know not showing up for meetings, showing up late. It's like that uh, you're we're done because y- if and look, this is somebody that's paying me every month. No questions asked, but it's not about the money. It's it's about helping and it's about, and if you can't want to help yourself, well, then I, I'm starting to want this more than you. And that's an unequal exchange and it's not my business, it's your business. And um, I will never want it more than you. It's same with the therapy, same with anything else. You've got to want this. And if you don't have, if you if you can't even show up for your own work, why the hell am I showing up? And so I, you know, we're still, still friends, but it was like, listen, we're, we're going to cancel this because this isn't, this isn't working out. You've got, and look, and if you, if I tell you what to do at the end of the day, it's your business, you get to do what you want. But if you're not taking my advice and keep screwing things up, why are you paying? Like, what do you need me for? You need me to, to tell you what to do in this. You can say, no, no, I'm going to do it this way. And then it doesn't work. I mean, at some point it's like, I'm not here to do the work for you. I'm here to tell you what, what you can do that will, will work. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right. But you know, it's not, it's not a perfect science, but there's some science to this. It's not, we're not putting a man on the moon. I mean, there are, there are some very, you know, precise tactics um, that are aligned with long-term strategic, you know, principles that that work to build companies and build businesses because I've done it. And so, but at the end of the day, it's it's up to them and it's their choice what they can do what they want. It's a it's a collabor- it's a collaborative process. I'm not, you know, I'm a strategic advisor. That's that's what I do. Well, I am pretty sure that after this uh podcast is heard by all of our listeners that we're going to get a, a lot of questions and comments on this because you touched on so many different things. Like yeah, I think really we could have we yeah. could have done a whole series on just this one issue. But I think we need to wrap it up for the day. Any last parting thoughts? I would say if you're not a business owner, I'm just got business on the head right now. I think that you still are a business owner, even if you're an employee at a company or you work as a pilot. Or I think you still kind of represent your own little business. I mean, I think that there's a way to to apply some of these things to whether you're working on special projects or even the the current role that you have. I think that there's some principles that business is life. Everything is business. Everything is is related to this, and so I think. It may not speak to you from because you're not a you're not an entrepreneur. You don't want to own your own business, but I still think there's some value that you could probably gain, uh, gain by by learning some of these principles and just applying them in areas of your life that you'd be surprised where you can apply them. That's the the one thing I just want to I want to add. Uh, the two is is like choose a, a like the productivity planner, right? One t- if you just do one thing a day, one thing. I know there's a ton. But one thing, you will find geometric growth and improvement by doing that. But and what you'll happens feel is you'll feel better. But we try to do, we got everything on the plate and we just go into shutdown mode because we've we've exceeded channel capacity. 
This is just Analysis science. paralysis. You're yeah. Just overwhelmed. So just choose one thing. And if you're in systems school or you're in, you're in, you're at the airlines and you're overwhelmed with something, like if you're in the electrical system, just say, okay, today I'm going to learn one thing about um, one principle or property or fundamental of how this works. Just one thing or the FMS. I'm just going to learn. I see this all the time. I'm right? trying to learn how to program the FMS. It's a new thing. It can trip people up. I'm like, just start with just, I'm going to learn how to initialize, or I'm going to learn how to swap databases, or I'm going to learn one. And you can build on that. But if you're like, I got to know how to use the FMS, it's like a fool's run. You're just going to get overwhelmed and try to think everything is important. You got to start with something. So start with one thing and build from there. Well, that wraps it up for today. I will throw a little bit of a teaser out that in the coming weeks and months, there's, we've got some great uh, uh, things in store for this podcast. So stay tuned for all of that. Uh, more to come. Keep the comments, questions, ideas coming towards us. It's podcast at lifteffect.com. Also share uh, this with everybody. Please give us a like. We just hope to see you and keep you coming back. Once again, thanks for being here today and we hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lift Effect Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into this episode and every episode, go to our website, lifteffect.com forward slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we would love it if you'd follow us on Spotify and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all with the ID Matthew McNeil. This show is brought to you by Lift Effect a clinical mental health and consulting company that assists air carriers, corporate flight departments, pilot unions, and commercial pilots by providing comprehensive psychotherapy and mental skills coaching services to pilots with mental health and mental performance-related issues. Visit lifteffect.com, that's L-I-F-T-A-F-F-E-C-T.com to book your free consultation. And finally, this podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of counseling, psychotherapy, medicine, or any other healthcare service, including the giving of medical advice. No therapeutic or provider-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining advice for any psychological or medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Lift Effect podcast.